With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast here in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine. We've got John DeGeese joining us once again to recap briefly some esports from over the weekend with SRO Racing going on in the virtual world. And a lot of news this week, John. It's been busy. We've got IMSA. We've got We've got uh, ACO news. We've got SRO news. It's been pretty much across the board. So, ready for a busy show? Absolutely. All right, quickly on the esports side of things, we did wrap up the GT Rivals, which is the SRO America esports offering using Assetto Corsa Competizione. It was David Peril who broke through with the win on virtual home soil at Kailami and therefore is effectively crowned the champion. This was a championship race, no points on offer throughout the GT Rivals season. The uh, dominating driver of the season, Brian Heidkotter, finished second. It was a thrilling finish to that race. We've got the full replay available at sportscar365.com. Earlier in the morning, Louis Delatraz picked up the win in the SRO Europe race. That one was held at Barcelona. You can find the replay online for that as well. And quickly, to put a bow on the esports discussion, we talked about the virtual Le Mans 24 on last week's show and mentioned some of the teams that were involved. Big names on the driver front as well. The full entry list was released within the last week. You can find that at sportscar365.com. Plenty of names from sports car racing, but also from open wheel racing and just really across the board, some of the biggest names in sim racing too on that entry list. So it should be a fun experience when that race goes off here later on this month. All right, John, to the news now. And it was a busy news week. We'll start with IMSA. Big updates from IMSA, starting with the ability now for drivers that are stuck overseas to make it to the U.S. in time for the first IMSA races since the Rolex 24 at Daytona, with the Department of Homeland Security adding motorsports to the list of exceptions that are out there for athletes at the moment. This is a big breakthrough for IMSA with so many of its drivers and also personnel that are stuck overseas at this time. Yeah, this has been something that's been in the works for quite a few weeks. And we had news a few weeks ago when when IMSA President John Doonan said we should have an update on this situation um, shortly. And and sure enough, last week we did get um, a bulletin um, that was sent out to competitors late Thursday, confirming that um, IMSA and NASCAR's meeting with acting secretary Chad Wolf um, on this subject in Daytona Beach was successful. And the DHS is now allowing exemptions for IMSA's foreign professional drivers, essential staff, and their dependents to come into the U.S. Um, this is absolutely great news, not just for IMSA, but for all of motorsports. It's our understanding that it will be more or less allowed for any form of professional motorsports, but IMSA really helped get the ball rolling to get this exemption made. Um, Other than that, we don't have specific details yet. IMSA has now sent out a questionnaire or a request actually to teams um, to come back to them with a list of of foreign drivers, personnel, essential crew that they plan to utilize in these races and and asking the questions of if they have visas, what kind of visas do they have? Do they enter under ESTA? Um, There's still a lot to be figured out, especially with some drivers and crew and other people that maybe do enter the U.S. under ESTA, whether it's for whether it's legally done or sort of sliding through. So 
Um, there's still a lot to be determined. I, I think that um, there's no guarantees that we'll get every single driver and every single crew member that was expected to be at Daytona in to the country. Um, there's also the fact that, you know, there's a recommended 14-day quarantine um, uh, into the U.S. once you arrive. That means that anybody wanting to take part in the Daytona 4th of July race would need to be in the country, um, I believe, by June 19th. So that's coming up pretty quickly. And when it comes to trying to get visas approved and and whatnot through consulates and, and embassies, when a lot of those U.S. offices are running either with reduced staff or completely closed. Um, it's going to be a monumental task. And and talking to some people in the industry that's deeply involved in this kind of immigration situation, it's not a complete done deal. But I think the majority of the drivers and the majority of the of the staff will be spared. And this is going to be great to have basically averted a huge crisis in the paddock because like we've said on previous shows it was close to 40 percent of participants were coming from overseas or at least 40 percent of the teams would have been directly impacted well two drivers that we were a bit unsure about now we have some confirmation they will be available those being people durani and felipe nasser who were able to get to the u.s right before access to the u.s from their native Brazil was going to be restricted. That, I understand, was a pretty close call for those two as they were monitoring the situation from afar and ultimately were able to get their travel plans finalized in the nick of time to get into the States. Yeah, it's sort of become a mute point because now this DHS deal has been reached. But if there wasn't a deal, then Pipo and, and Felipe would have been potentially out of being able to race. So um, uh, people flew in, I think, a day, be- a day before Felipe did, and now they're both in Miami. Um, you can follow them on social media. It looks like they're having a good time uh, working out together. Um, I think they're both staying in the same same condo with um, with uh, Pipo's uh, wife. And, and so it, it's uh, good to see the two Action Express teammates, um, co-drivers, back in the U.S. Um, looks like that is all set to go. And... Um, yeah, I think it's just good news to see these kind of developments happening, and 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 as IMSA is starting to get things going again on its on its return to racing program. And on the subject of the return to racing, we are now about a month away from getting cars back on track. Fourth of July weekend in Daytona will be the first IMSA race weekend since the Rolex Twenty Four at Daytona, and we do have some more news about how those weekends are going to work. First the one in Daytona, then the subsequent one at Sebring. We've got some formats, we've got uh, some limitations on crews, that information has come down, and also these will be two-day events for the WeatherTech Championship uh, when we get to to Daytona and Sebring. Yeah, and the Daytona event, it was announced on Monday that WeatherTech will be the entitlement sponsor for the race. It'll be called the IMSA WeatherTech 240 at Daytona. Um, a nice logo was, was revealed as well. Nice patriotic logo with uh, red, white, and blue and a bald eagle in there. Um, so good to see that uh, being confirmed. In terms of the crew members, um, IMSA is limiting it to essential personnel only. Um, 15 crew members per car, and that includes the drivers. Um, there's an extra crew member allowed if the teams elect to have a spotter, but that spotter must be, um, based on the outside of the track, basically in the grandstands, we believe, or in the 
press box. We're not entirely sure. I think if I had a guess right now, it probably would be in the grandstands um, for the race. And that spotter would not be allowed to enter the garage at any time. Um, there's other regulations that have been stipulated in, in the supplementary regs for both um, Daytona and the Sebring race two weeks later. Um, still, the plan, I believe, is closed door without fans. Um, very limited media, from what we understand. Um, very limited uh, usage of photography, photographers, um, trackside as well. Some stuff still to be sorted out, and I'm sure we'll get some more news in, in the coming days. But the interesting thing that I see here is that we got also got the confirmation of how these two-day events will actually be run, and um, teams will actually be unloading Friday morning um, at, the, at the track, unload and have a practice session that evening, both at Daytona and Sebring. And then um, Saturday morning, there's a final practice session followed by qualifying, and then right into the race on Saturday evening on both um, situations, both both races. So a real compact schedule. Um, the first event back at Daytona is just the WeatherTech Championship only. At Sebring, we'll be adding the IMSA Prototype Challenge and Michelin Pilot Challenge. And actually, those series unload the day before on the Thursday. Um, and they have their events are Thursday, Friday, I believe. At least for the Pilot Challenge, it's Thursday, Friday for sure. I'm not entirely sure about prototype challenge, but um, IMSA is trying to space things out a little bit for their competitors, similar to how they do it on a regular style three-day event or three or four-day event weekend in the past. But I think we're really paying close closer attention to the schedules to see how all this will unfold. And I know um, IMSA is still working on the COVID-19 protocol, um, their, their procedures, um, you know, trackside and whatever. But an interesting thing to come from the supplementary regs is that they're, they put a note at the on the schedule um, to expect to spend up to two hours every morning to give yourself two hours every morning to get inside the track. So they're expecting to have a large queue of competitors um, that'll be undergoing the, the health checks every morning. Um, I think there'll be probably, you know, uh, uh, screenings for for temperature, um, screenings to make sure you're the right, you're on the list to go in, and and other evaluations um, similar to what NASCAR has been doing with their races recently. Um, so all really interesting stuff. Um, lots of questions still to be answered, but um, it's good to see the news starting to trickle out as we're about a month out from the return to racing for IMSA. More details on all of those topics can be found at sportscar365.com. We've talked a lot on this show here in this uh, COVID-19 world about conflicts on schedules um, with everything being rescheduled, and certainly the SRO schedule was a big part of that. We've talked about some of the conflicts that have popped up with the test day for the total 24 hours of spa and the Indianapolis eight hour intercontinental GT challenge race. And we have some more clarity now from the SRO, John, about how the SRO is handling this and an additional test day to try and rectify the clash that uh, was created when the whole schedule got shifted around uh, going back about a month or so. Yeah. So Intercontinental GT Challenge teams will now be able to test at Spa the Tuesday of the Total 24 Hours of Spa test week. Um, that day is usually reserved for bronze drivers like as a bronze test, but I don't believe that'll be happening anymore um, due to the compact nature of the rescheduled event. Nonetheless, this is um, great news for IGTC competitors because we obviously had 
a direct clash with the spa test day and the Indy eight hour. Um, the spa test day, I believe is the Tuesday and Wednesday of the Indianapolis week. And that really would have made it impossible to, for teams to do both unless they had complete sets of equipment separately and not even taking into account a potential quarantine on arrival into the U.S. We still don't know how that'll be or if it if there's going to be further restrictions from foreigners on, on, on that ground. So um, good news that SRO has been able to handle that. The other development we've gotten from SRO, and you can read the story from Dan Lloyd on, on, on SportsCar 365 um, as it's being published Tuesday, is that it doesn't look like the Indianapolis 8-hour will be able to be moved um, due to the clash with the Watkins Glen 6-hour. Um, Dan spoke to Stefan Rattel about it, and Stefan said it's highly unlikely that we're going to see that race move. Um, this is after IMSA rescheduled the Salem six hours of Glen to the Indy eight hour weekend. And we thought there might've been some hope for um, SRO and IndyCar to potentially move that race maybe one week back. I think we discussed it on last week's show, but it doesn't seem likely. Um, I think it's sort of putting the ball in IMSA's court here to see if IMSA can adjust the Watkins Glen race. But quite frankly, I think that seems unlikely too, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, that would be a big shame. So many, crossovers there between teams and drivers and uh, really makes things complicated for sure. Well, one team from the SRO paddock that had a really fascinating year planned was KPAX Racing, and I think they've been hit as hard as anyone by all the travel restrictions that are in place. They were planning on running Bentley's operation over in uh, the SRO series in Europe in addition to GT World Challenge America powered by Pirelli, nope, powered by AWS, this season, but uh, doing so with an all-American crew, and obviously that's going to be a real challenge with some restrictions on travel as they stand right now. John, I know you talked to Darren Law, the team manager there at KPAX, and it sounds like they're doing their best to try and, and rectify uh, the complications here in a very difficult situation. Yeah, so much like we have the situation with the European drivers and staff not able to get into the U.S. until now, thanks to the DHS um, exemption, there is a similar situation if with Americans trying to get into Europe. And I think this is one of the reasons why we've seen Corvette and the Porsche North America squads withdraw from the 24 hours of Le Mans is just the pure uncertainty right now as we stand here today of whether U.S. citizens will be able to get to France for the 24 hours of Le Mans. Um, making it even more complicated is for a U.S.-based team to compete in an entire European season. In is what KPAX has been planning to do for GT World Challenge Europe Endurance Cup. And um, Darren basically said they're still hoping, they're still planning, um, but they're in close contact with SRO, which is in contact with the associated government authorities in, throughout the European Union to see if there could be exceptions made for their U.S. personnel to get through Europe um, to compete this to complete this season. Um, the Endurance Cup has been reduced from five to four rounds, um, kicking off now at Imola at the end of July on what was to be the Total 24 Hours of Spa weekend. Um, Darren didn't really give any other indications on what the chances would be, but all their equipment is still in Germany. They rented out a shop there, and they were actually at Paul Ricard um, prior to the test, setting up for the official preseason test there before um, Donald Trump's order on the travel ban, and they ended up packing up early and um, getting back to California ASAP in order to uh, avoid that travel um, restriction there that the U.S. put up in, in mid-March. So uh, a real challenging situation for KPAX. The only 
concrete info I got from Darren is that they won't hand over the entry to another team or or hire European mechanics. You know, I asked the question that, hey, could you know, feasibly could, you know, M Sport run the cars for you in Europe, you know, if you guys can't make it over there, um, because KPAX is essentially taking over the slot that M Sport had for Bentleys um, in the in the Endurance Cup this year. And Darren said, no, that won't be the case. If they can't do it, they won't run them at all. And they may just put the whole program on hold for an entire year. They may just keep the equipment over there, you know, through the through the winter and try to do it again in 2021. But as of now, they're still pushing. They're still really trying to to make it happen. Um, they have time on their side because the, the first race is until the end of July. And so unlike IMSA, where we're, we're getting ready to go racing in about four weeks, um, it's still another seven to eight weeks until GT World Challenge Europe um, takes the green. Although we do have some test sessions test sessions um, scheduled next month earlier before the start of the year. So um, hopefully there could be some clarity there. And personally, I'm quite interested to see how this works out too, at being an American hopefully being able to get over to Europe, maybe for some races later this year, like Le Mans and Spa 24. Um, hopefully there could be some exceptions made for crew and journalists and and others from the U.S., drivers, of course, as well, um, trying to make some of these um, big races um, in Europe in addition to the, the calendars in the U.S. Another team that has had some changes recently is Gear Racing. They appeared on the 24 Hours of Le Mans entry list initially as a GTE Am entry for that all-female driver lineup initiative. But uh, subsequently, John, we've seen a change now to GTE Pro. What is behind the change? Yeah, I spoke to Mark Ruggieri, the team owner of Gear Racing, and uh, he confirmed to me that they've moved to GTE Pro Uh, mainly due to the fact that they were unable to source a bronze-rated driver for their effort. Um, It's an all-female lineup. Um, Their plan was to do it in AM initially, but um, due to the COVID situation uh, and a lot of the bronze drivers have businesses away from racing, have other deals lined up, um, it seems like their bronze driver fell through. So they're obviously, they made the request to the ACO to see if they can move their Ferrari into pro. Um, he said they've gotten the, that approval. Um, we're still waiting on the ACO to uh, to confirm this, but quite frankly, the ACO hasn't confirmed Corvette's withdrawal or Porsche's withdrawal either, the American Porsche team. Christina Nielsen is the only confirmed driver in their effort right now. They're still talking to other drivers, other females for that, uh, the final two seats. Also, they're still talking to teams that would help operate that program in um, Lama. I know they've had discussions with AF Corsa, um, not necessarily um, Kessel Racing yet. Um, and also, I think they've gotten interest from some other teams since the publishing of this article. So uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Obviously, their American program is run by Grasser Racing Team, and it appears unlikely that that Austrian squad would, would do this effort. Um, just because Grasser is so busy, um, has a really busy schedule packed, you know, in for the second half of the year between IMSA and um, GT Masters, and also I think um, Gear is going to be looking for a team that has some Ferrari experience. It makes a lot of sense to hook up with a team, you know, like an AF Corsa, for instance, to potentially um, help operate their their program. So um, stay tuned. There's still some stuff to be announced there, but. Good to see this program not fade away as the result of a, the coronavirus um, pandemic. You know, when you look at the entry list for Lama, 
you, I sort of earmarked a couple entries thinking, uh, are these questions, you know, you know, you could easily just sort of slip off the entry list. And in speaking to Mark, it seems like that plans are still moving ahead um, and, and they're still working on getting things together for the race. Yeah, that is welcome news. Also very welcome to hear that being a car should be another car in the GTE Pro class, which had as you talked about, several withdrawals already. Uh, that, that does a nice job to bolster that class a little bit, looking ahead to the race. Final topic of discussion here this week, Janetta. They've been quite vocal about uh, their disappointment in being left out of the LMDH conversation by the, the new set of regulations. However, it seems like they've got some interesting things in the works with their eye on Hypercar, on LMH, and maybe providing kind of a similar service to what the four selected LMP2 chassis providers provide for uh, right now DPI and, and LMDH looking down the road. It's kind of an interesting idea. What do you make of, uh, of what we've seen out of Janetta here and these plans that are still in the very early stages? Yeah, it doesn't seem like they're giving up on, on anything. They're looking at all possible avenues to remain active in prototype racing. And I give them a lot of credit for doing that because um, obviously sort of being locked out of the LMDH discussions um, uh, led to them not being eligible for LMP2 as a constructor. And it doesn't leave many other opportunities for uh, a constructor of their type to be active in top-level prototype racing. And LMH is kind of the only loophole, per se, to get in as a constructor. And it looks like they're looking at that and potentially being a service provider um, for a manufacturer that would want to have an entry at Lamar. And on the surface, it didn't really make a lot of sense when I first heard about this, but actually it does in hindsight, because what Janetta is proposing and also Glickenhaus to that ex the measure is providing the chassis, providing technical support to a manufacturer that would want to just arrive with their power plant, their hybrid system, and maybe some other components. And the car could actually be homologated as an OEM brand, um, but Janetta or Glickenhaus could be the underpinnings of that hypercar. And we know that Ferrari has been one of the manufacturers actively looking at such a program. Um, we don't know for, for sure if they've reached out to Janetta and Glickenhaus, but we believe they have been exploring multiple possibilities. And we've had stories previously on Sports Car 365 about Ferrari's ambitions to return to top-level prototype racing, but not wanting to do it in the LMDH rules um, simply because they can't have their own chassis. And if Janetta or Glickenhaus could offer a chassis and have it branded as a Ferrari chassis, I think that sort of solves the situation. So it's an interesting turn of events because I think a lot of people thought that LMH would kind of be a two or three constructor class and that'll be it between Toyota um, Glickenhaus and, and potentially by Collis. And now Janetta's thrown its hat into the ring and potentially other manufacturers that could have been looking at LMDH potentially uh, putting their weight behind a program in LMH instead with the help of an existing constructor. So um, still early discussions, like you said, Ryan, but um, this is quite an interesting development. Some other news items that came out this week that we should probably mention here before we sign off for the week. The Asian Le Mans series revealed its updated 2020-2021 
calendar, although actually all the races are going to be in 2021. Four races in total, two in Thailand, two in Mo- that calendar at sportscar365.com. Creventic will be restarting here later on this month with the 24-hour race in Portugal at Portimao. And uh, more information on that at the website as well. Plus, some changes at the top of Aston Martin. There's obviously racing implications there. It goes from Formula One all the way to the sports car side of things. And uh, plenty of drama in uh, the Aston Martin camp. So you can find out more about that at the website as well. But that's it for us on the show this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have a question for a future show, you can leave it in the comment section or use the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter and we'll get to it on our next program. And with that said, we will say so long for now. We'd love a rating and a review on iTunes if you have some time and we'll talk to you next week with our next edition of Double Stint. Double Stint.